0: Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. This morning we are concluding the series that we began right after Easter uh, entitled Branch Out. If you're new this morning, we have a we have a tagline at Green Tree that says, Dig in branch out and live it up. And we started the year uh, studying the first part of the tagline, dig in. And we did a study in the book of Colossians. If you're interested in that, you can go to our website and and listen to some of those sermons online as well. But then we turned a corner after Easter. So, okay, we've now we've spent time digging into Christ and who he is and what Jesus means in our lives. Now it's time to ask the question, how do we engage with our culture? What does it mean to be a disciple in 21st century uh, middle America in St. Louis, Missouri? How do we uh, make a practical application and uh, engage with folks for the cause of the gospel? So branching out is kind of taking the relationship we have and, and, and sharing it with others. And so we're concluding that this morning. And then in the fall, we will uh, we'll go to the third leg of our, of our uh, tagline, which is live it up. I was reading a a recent article by Tom Rainer. Tom Rainer is kind of the guru when it comes to all uh, things church oriented. So church statistics, uh, trends, those kinds of things. Tom Rainer has uh, been in ministry for probably 35 years. He's taught at seminaries. He's been uh, a church planter. So he kind of knows his way around the church world. And he wrote an article recently entitled Six Reasons Why Your Church Might Not Be As Friendly As You Think. So we're talking about branching out, right? We're talking about engaging with folks around us, and we're talking about things like, you know, how do we, you know, care for people well? How do we love people well? How do we create a, a friendly atmosphere, that sort of thing? So that title of that article caught my attention, and I thought, well, I bet. I'm going to look at this list because I bet my church is friendly. So then I read the six reasons. The first reason was almost all church leaders consider their church to be friendly. (laughs) So, okay, well, yeah, that's true. So he said, however, we have strong evidence to the contrary. Um, Second one was volumes of survey data from church guests indicate that very few churches are really friendly. So people that come and visit walk away. And if if they're asked questions, they would say, yeah, not so much. Thirdly, many church members perceive their church to be friendly because they have established relationships in the church. So if you've been at Green Tree for a while, you're like, well, of course we're friendly because I look around and see a bunch of people I know. And we kind of equate that with being friendly. And Rainer says they aren't the same things. That's a little bit apples and oranges, so to speak. Um, fourthly, many church members see their church as friendly because they have a brief stand and greet time in the worship service, which we just did a few minutes ago. Uh, we found uh, number five that most guests who think that a church is unfriendly, never let anyone in the church know. So people may come and go and have a less than positive experience. And even in an age of social media, where it's very easy to post things, they may never say anything electronically or, or face-to-face to anyone. And then sixthly, he said, we found no significant evidence that church members are connecting with unchurched persons and bringing them to a worship service. Uh, and so as I, as I looked at that, that list, and, and the last one in particular, it's not just Uh, that we want to invite people to come to Green Tree, although I I think those of us that uh, are part of Green Tree love uh, our church and are thankful for it. But the notion is is that we want to introduce people to Jesus and to allow them to see him. And yet, according to Rainer's uh, study, we're not you know, necessarily doing that very well either. And I actually, I ran into two people this week that I hadn't seen in a little while. They, they aren't connected to Green Tree at all. It wasn't like I was saying, hey, come back to Green Tree. Just two people that I hadn't bumped into in a while, but they both live in the area. And I said to them, hey, I'd love to see you at church on Sunday. And it kind of dawned on me that I don't necessarily say that all that often. What's important about that before, as we get into this text this morning, is that I don't really think the goal that we have as disciples of Green Trees is to be a friendly church. I think that falls way, way short of what we understand the gospel to say to us about the tone and the attitude we have towards our culture. We should be ravenously hungry to see people come to Christ. If we look at our lives and we see our brokenness apart from Christ, and we look at that objectively, and we look at it honestly, and we understand that, that our sin has grieved God, and it, it has caused a separation between us and Him to the degree that we couldn't do anything about it, nor were we inclined to. And yet God in His mercy reached out and redeemed us and brought us to Himself. How can we not be excited about that? How can we not want to share that with others? How, how can we not go way, you know, friendly like, you know, the, the first letter and the first word of the, of the book. But there's so much more beyond that in in engaging with people and and experiencing the gospel for ourselves and sharing it with others that if we're not being friendly, we're not even beginning to take the first step right, how, how much less will we actually be effective in this notion of branching out? So I thought as we concluded our study this morning that we would go to a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 14 where Jesus is a dinner guest with some very, very influential people, and he talks to them about the heart of God and, and what it means to God to be a redemptive God who loves and saves people. So if you would, follow along on your own Bibles, you could follow on the screen. I'm going to read verse 1. It kind of sets it up. Then we'll jump ahead to verse 12. On the Sabbath, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully, they being all the Pharisees who had gathered at this house. These are very rich, very wealthy uh, national leaders. Uh, these are very prominent folks who Jesus is having, uh, he's sitting down to a meal. Verse 12, Jesus says to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those, those Pharisees, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in, and notice the exact same words he's used just a moment ago with the, uh, with the host of the party, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still There is room. The master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, a time to gather together and to worship you, to stop Uh, some of the busyness of the week, some of the normal activity, and to corporately reflect on your grace and your mercy, your kindness and your compassion, your salvation. Lord, you have told us to call you Father, that we are sons and daughters of the living God through the redemption that we have in the Lord Jesus. And so on a day that our culture calls Father's Day, it it bears remembering uh, that you are a father to the orphan. And to those who are spiritually blind and lame and poor, you bring life and compassion and health. Father, some of us had a wonderful relationship with our father all of our lives, and it's easy for us to see you as father. For some of us, it may have been less than that, uh, and still for others, some may have no relationship with a father or have had an abusive relationship, and today simply brings up bad memories. Father, some of us perhaps have lost our fathers in the last year. So before we just kind of glibly say Happy Father's Day to everyone, Lord, may we remember that we do live in a broken world, uh, that it is far from perfect, but your grace and your mercy can invade even the deepest brokenness of our lives and can restore and can heal and can bring new life. Father, as we consider this morning branching out, as we consider what it means to uh, go into the world and to invite people to the party that you are throwing. We pray that we would give us your wisdom and your understanding. We pray that your spirit would teach us. What I have to say is not important. Lord, forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of of your lesson for us this morning. Help us, Father, to worship you with our minds and our intellect. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the sermon in a sentence this morning is this. God's gracious invitation to all through Jesus must inspire and inform Green Tree's commitment to branch out. Uh, so we're, we're looking at this in the context of our little tiny part of the kingdom of God, uh, but we're part of it nonetheless. And as a body of believers, as a local church, we want to ask ourselves, what does it mean to, to take our faith into the world? And how do we engage with our culture to the extent that we can, uh, share the gospel? So we've been talking about a lot of different topics over the last few weeks. This kind of brings us back to the, the foundation. Uh, to why we are we are embarking on this conversation that will hope will lead to a lifestyle uh, that we all embrace and it 's because of god 's gracious invitation to us through christ that 's our foundation, but that must also inspire and inform us as we think about what it means to share the gospel with others. So I want to walk through this story this morning and, and look at it pretty carefully, see what we can learn from it. Before we do that, let's just remember who are the players in this story. You've heard it read just a minute ago. Maybe you've, you've read Luke's gospel before and you've, you're familiar with this, but in case you, you're a bit of a newcomer or you kind of skim through it and weren't quite paying attention as we were reading earlier, uh, let's just remember who we're talking about. So there's a host of the party and the host of the party stands for God. So every time we're listening to the master or the host or the the man who's throwing the party, that's God. Second individual or individuals that we want to notice are the, is the servant. Now, in the text, in the ESV that I read you, servant is singular, but it doesn't mean one person. Servant here is metaphorical. It stands for a lot of different individuals and groups. So Old Testament prophets who before Jesus came spoke to the people of Israel and saying, there's a Messiah that's coming. He's going, to, he's going to step into history and he's going to be used by God to redeem his people. Those were folks who were part of the servant in this picture. New Testament disciples and apostles. You read about Paul and Peter and John and, and all of those guys in the New Testament. Those are also part of the, the servant group that are going out and sharing the news of Jesus with others. And every generation of Christians who's ever lived since then is included as a servant. So if you're here this morning... And you're a believer in Jesus and you're a disciple. You are included in this story, at least on this level. And we're going to see in another level as well later on. But we are part of the servant. We are the ones that are called to enact the, the, the commandment of the master. Then we have a couple of different guest lists. Guest list number one are the group of folks who are invited, but they decline the invitation. Guest list number two are a group of folks who, quite frankly, are rarely invited to anything. These are people that are overlooked. It's like folks don't even see them time and time again. It's like they're invisible to the rest of the world, but they know that they're rarely invited. So when they get a chance, they joyfully accept. And we're going to look at them a little bit later on. But those are the players in the story. I have four observations about... This particular teaching of Jesus. The first one is I think we need to look at the setup. Go back to verses 12 through 14 and look at Jesus' command as well as Jesus' promise. So the command is this. When you give a dinner, Jesus is talking to his host. His host is a very devoutly religious person. His host is also a very wealthy person, and his host is also a very influential person. This would be akin to being a a senator in, in the United States today. This is a person of great influence, okay? And so he says, when you who claim to be religious give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, but when you give a feast, so here's the positive, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Now, Let's get one thing out of the way first. Jesus isn't saying you can never have a family gathering, right? Some of you going, oh man, I just had plans to have Father's Day and to have a few people over and I got to tell those people they can't come because Jesus said, I can." and you're looking at your husband and going, sorry, honey, I planned it. But Jesus said, no, what do you want me to do, right? Okay, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's talking about the heart of God. And he's talking about when you look at your world and you ask what's the best and most important and the highest use of your time, don't be self-centered. Don't look at what serves you. That's not how God sees the world. God sees the world through what cares for others. You look at the world the same way your father. So don't give that kind of party all the time, but rather think about those who really need a party. That's the command, right? But there's also a promise in the setup, and the promise comes in the next verse. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. I want to stop there before I read the last part of that. So a, a lot of you, are, you guys, just a lot of high school kids just came back from the short-term mission trip in Nicaragua. Nicaragua. You probably had an experience at some point while you were there in the last week where you were serving others, you were helping them, you were caring for them, you were building something, or you were hosting a vacation Bible, so you're doing things, and yet you stood there and said, man, I'm getting more out of this than the kids are. I'm getting more out of this than the family. Last week we had 2028, 20, the first time we've ever missed 2028 20, in uh, the 14 or however many years we've had it. Um, and, I, and I missed the opportunity to work. But uh, a lot of you maybe last Saturday had the experience, you know, we're helping this family or this ministry, but man, I'm getting a lot more out of it. Uh, I've been on three different homes of Hope trips where we've gone and built a home for family. And I've had that experience all three times. Man, I'm getting a lot out of this, right? Why are you blessed? Because you're doing something for somebody that genuinely, honestly needs your help. And that's a blessing to your soul. It nourishes your soul because you're experiencing somewhat of what God experiences when he cares for us unconditionally. But also you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In other words, your heavenly father is watching. He cares about how you spend your life. You don't earn your salvation. He's not looking down on you with his arms folded waiting for you to mess up so he can kick you out but rather he's like a father who's teaching and imploring and instructing and hoping that some of what he gives you rubs off on on you so that you begin to look more like him. And when you finally stand before him, he will shower you with approval in the life to come for those moments when you actually got it right, when you you loved others well. So the, the story begins with a setup that has both a command and a promise. But then we get into the story itself in a lot of wonderful, wonderfully rich metaphorical language here. We want to notice, secondly, the wealth and the generosity of our God. He said to him, "'A man once gave a banquet.' And a great banquet and invited many. Now that might sound to you and me in our day and age like, you know, okay, a guy, guy threw, but it was a birthday for one of his kids or whatever, and he, and he, and he threw a party. And may, maybe, you know, uh, something a little bit more than that. Maybe an anniversary celebration, maybe even a wedding. Uh, you know, he, he had a great banquet. And it doesn't sound all that impressive. What Jesus is saying is there was, a, he's, think about his crowd. His crowd is all wealthy people, extremely wealthy people. And he's saying to them, a man once gave a great banquet. In your context, wealthy people, and, and, and those of you that have limitless resources, think about what that party looks like. And he invited many. He, he, he didn't shortcut. He didn't say, you know, we're going to have this big, lavish gathering, but we're going to invite 25 people. <laughs> we're we're going to kind of keep it tight and small. This is a banquet. This is the social event of the year. Lavish is not too strong a word. It might be akin with a royal wedding uh, a presidential inaugural ball, and notice that he invites many. There there this is gonna be a blowout, and it's going to be a who's who of important people. So Jesus says, when you give the kind of party that you give, okay, there's a man of great wealth. Right? He throws a great party for many. No shortcuts. He 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 spares no resource to have this get together. He's gonna make it the best he possibly can. I, uh, I'm going back, oh, gosh, at least 10 or 12 years ago and was uh, doing premarital counseling with a couple that actually didn't go to Green Tree. Uh, I knew them from, an, from another context. And they're walking into my office one day and the bride-to-be is on the phone with, I think, a family member. It turns out it's her dad, and she's not happy. And she's there just, and so I'm kind of politely sitting there waiting. And her is kind of sitting there, you know, kind of doing this and trying to mind his own business, too. And I, we start talking about football or something. And she gets off the phone. And she puts her phone down. She goes, I can't believe my dad. And I think to myself, well, I'll bite. (laughs) What what, what do I got to lose? I'll ask. I'm like, well, well, what's wrong? What's the problem? She goes, my dad gave me a budget and he's just, he's just, I can't believe how unreasonable he's being. He gave me a budget of $500 a person and we're at $517 a person. And he thinks that's ridiculous. And I don't understand why he's being that way. And I, and I like, you know what? That's right. I mean, you know, the four people you're having to your wedding, I I can understand why that just seems to be crazy. She goes, you know, and, and we're only having 200 guests, right? Now, the finance team doesn't let me touch money around here, and that's a really good thing because I'm bad at math, but even I could do that math in my head pretty quick, right? I'm like, dad's not holding back at all at $500 a guest. This is going to be the party of all parties. This is going to kind of be the social event of the year, right? Okay, think of that when you read that sentence. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. The wealth... The ability of our God to cut no corners, to put no cost savings in place, but rather love and invite with a radical love. And notice his care for his guests in verse 17 says this, and the time of the banquet, he sent out a servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So this party took some time to get ready. It wasn't like they woke up that morning and said, okay, we got to put up some balloons, Right? We gotta we gotta throw out a few streamers, put out the the nice, you know, colorful paper plates that we bought that look like the Fourth of July, and we're ready to go. No, this had been weeks, maybe even months, and maybe even a year in preparation. And so everybody's gotten their invitation. It came and it either was an Evite or whatever, they've put it on their calendar, uh, but now everything is ready. He has gone into great detail so that everyone who comes to his party is gonna have an amazing time. So Cindy and I went a couple weeks ago over Memorial Day with another couple, friend of ours, we went over to Kansas City and I took it upon myself, we had all day Friday to travel, and I took it upon myself to figure out how you could spend an entire day traveling across the state of Missouri from St. Louis, we actually stopped in Boonville, we didn't even get all the way to Kansas City that night, And and could you actually fill a whole day with fun activities, and I found out you actually could. All right? So I, I, our first stop was in Chesterfield, then our next stop was out by Augusta, then our next stop was in Columbia, Missouri, which by the way, the State Farm Building in Columbia, Missouri, behind the State Farm Building, there is an incredible two or three acre garden that's open to the public that's completely free that you can go and walk through. It's amazing. I couldn't believe it. Then we ended up, uh, after that, we ended up in Boonville and had dinner there and stayed and had a, had a great time. But the whole point was I didn't plan a day that I thought, I'm at the end of the day, I'm going to say this was fun. My hope was at the end of the day, I could look at the three of them and go, how did I do? Did you have a good time? Did you have fun? I tried to pick something for everybody. My, my joy comes from you experiencing joy in the day we just spent together. And I, and I caught a break and they all had a nice time. And it worked out okay. Jesus is saying, the father here is saying, I've spent of my deep, deep resources to the extent when you show up at this party, it's going to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. Nothing else could ever possibly compare, and then notice the double effort. Verse seventeen again, he says he they had already gotten the invitations, but now he sent the servant back to knock on the door and say, "It's it's time to come. Come on, let's go." It's like a double invitation. So I don't know if you've ever ac- accidentally missed a wedding, right? And I don't mean like you accidentally missed it, like you didn't really want to go. So. You- I mean, you actually you know, went, oh my gosh, it's seven o'clock. We were supposed to be there at six. This guy's making sure that's not happening. He, he sends a servant out to remind everybody. You know, we'll see you at church in a couple hours. It's time to go. The wealth and the generosity of our God. But I want you to notice thirdly in this text, the insulting response, verses 18 through 20. First excuse is this. First said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. The second response: I've bought five yoke of oxen and now I have to go examine them. Please have me excused. And then the third response: I just got married. Uh, I have this beautiful bride, so I can't come. Okay. Now you got to think of this in the right terms. Jesus lived in an agrarian society. We're not talking about somebody who says, you know, I bought a weekend lake house and I got to go make sure it's okay, right? This is a person who's buying a big chunk of land and land is how you lived in Jesus' day. You lived off the land, whether you were, had a vineyard, whether you had a farm, whatever it is that you did on your land, that's how your family lived. That was your sustenance. And if you didn't have the right piece of land, you could go bankrupt like that and be out on the street and your family could starve to death. Who goes and buys a piece of land who makes the most important investment they've ever made in their lives and then says, well, now I'll go look and see if I bought the right thing. That's insane. It simply did not happen. The second guy says, now I have the farm, but I, I bought five yoga. I bought the, now I bought the farm equipment. And I've got to go look at my equipment and make sure it'll work the land because I bought it sight unseen. You know, now the most important investment I have is followed by the second most important. Are we going to be able to make any money off this land? But I didn't really even bother to check it out. So I'm busy. I can't come to the wedding. You're like, really? Are you kidding me? How insulting is that? If a friend of yours said that to you in that context, you'd say, why don't you just tell me the truth? Why don't you just tell me why you don't want to come to my party? Have I offended you in some way? Did I hurt your feelings and you didn't tell me? Because your excuse is the lamest excuse I've ever heard in my life. I went on eBay about eight years ago and I bought a dryer for $50. I called the woman on the phone and she said, my mom passed away. She used it maybe 10 times in her life. And I just want somebody to use it. I just want somebody to put it to good use. That dryer is still in my house working today, $50 dryer. But you know what? If I'd only gotten five months out of it and, it and it blew up and I got a dryer for $10 a month, I still would have gotten a pretty good deal. Who cares about, I'm not saying that a dryer is nothing, but I'm saying in comparison to, to the biggest thing you'll ever do in your life, a dryer is nothing, so to speak, right? And here are these guys that are going, you know, we're making these incredibly crucial decisions without any forethought whatsoever. And that's why we can't come to the party. You can only imagine the insult that that man must have felt at that moment. And then the last guy, right? I just got married and this is the social event of the year. Th- this is the thing that everybody wants to go to that is see and be seen. And I just got married and I have this beautiful bride. So we're not going to show up, right? Okay. Now I, I don't want to be a sexist here, but, 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 what guy didn't want to show off his new bride? Ladies, don't take that in the wrong way, okay? What, what guy who, who is proud of being married and can't believe that this woman said yes to him, and he goes, well, and so we're not going to go out in public for a while, right? It makes no sense, does it, Jeff? He's engaged, and his fiance sitting next to him. I knew he would understand it, right? Okay? Sorry for picking on you. I went to a party one time. I'm sitting down I went to a party one time about four or five months after we were married. And it was at a very nice house with very influential, very wealthy people. And I was a little bit nervous. And we're, we're walking around, and we're meeting people, and we're talking to folks. And uh, I can't remember who came up to us, but they were very influential people in our community. And they introduced themselves, and I introduced them. I said, hi, I'm Tom, and this is my wife, Cindy. Yeah, laugh now. It was not funny at all. you know. So two weeks later when she spoke to me, what she said was, all right, You're like, how could you possibly do that, right? Every man in this room feels better right now, right? Because you've never done something that bad, right? I just like, I can't believe I couldn't remember name. How awful was that? These responses should make you just feel incredulous. You're like, really? That's what you've done? That's Jesus' intention. He wants us to understand the depth of our sin. He wants to understand our proclivity to walk away from God for the absurdness of reasons. I don't like God. I don't think he loves me. I don't want to have anything to do with him. Really? Have you ever actually read the Bible and seen what it says about his mercy, and his compassion, and his grace? I, I think the God of the Old Testament was was mean and awful. Have you actually studied his word and seen the length to which God went in the Old Testament to prepare the way for Jesus to come to save a sinner like you and like me? The, the excuses are absurd, but they're there all the time, and they're very real. Which leads me to my fourth observation in this text. And there, if we're going to branch out according to this story, we must have perseverance, and we must have exuberance. Look at verse twenty-one and twenty-three. Let's talk about perseverance for just a second. So, servant comes in and says, "What's happened? These, these folks aren't coming." The master gets upset. But he says to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes and the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Notice that he will not allow his generosity to be thwarted. He could have just said, you know, fine. If they don't want to come, that's that's fine with me. We'll just shut the whole thing down. No, he realized that there's a whole other group of people that would really appreciate a party. So he says to the servant, the show is going to go on and it's up to you to go and get them and bring them into the house. The perseverance of the invitation to come and join God's party. And that's what happens. They show up in verse 22, we read this. So the servant said to him, sir, what you have commanded has been done. So between verse 21 and verse 22, there's some amount of time where the servant goes and goes out and the lame, the poor, the blind grabs them from all over the city, all over the countryside and, and brings them in. And so now he's reporting back and, and he's saying, okay, we did what you said and still there is room. But now the, the room is beginning to be filled. Now, now, now there's some folks at the party. Who are the folks at the party? They're the have nots. They're the social outcasts. They're the ones who joyfully accept. They're those that know they could use a good party and they jump at the chance. It might be the first party they've ever been invited to. It might be the only time in their life everybody, somebody actually acknowledged their existence and they're not gonna let the opportunity pass them by. They understand their circumstances. They understand the glory of the one who is invited and they understand his graciousness and they say, I'm all in. And by the way, I'm going to get my cousin, Fred, and my niece, Betty, Becky, and we'll, we'll all be there, right? And, and they're starting to fill the hall. There's an excitement. There's an exuberance about being invited to something that you really thought you would never have a chance to experience in your life. So I'm, I'm going to our General Assembly this week, which is up outside in a, a suburb outside of Detroit. I'm going to be there uh, Monday night through Friday, and it's our national meeting. It's when all of our churches in the country, all the, all the pastors and elders get together for a week. And... On Thursday night, I started doing this about five years ago, on Thursday night, I throw a party for the church planters late in the evening. So all the guys that are, that, that I'm responsible to help them start churches, I say, you know, you and your spouse, and you know, y'all come, and we're going to have some appetizers, and we're going to have a little bit of wine, and we're we're just gonna we're just gonna celebrate you because you're you, you know, you're out there in Denver with ten guys trying to start a church, and you're over there in Brooklyn, and you've got fifteen or twenty people, and you're trying to raise money and share the gospel with people, and you're over there in Austin, Texas, with you know fourteen people in your core group, and you, and, and you're forgotten. There, you know, you don't make the headlines of our EPC news, right? You're out there just doing it and nobody's thinking about you. So I want there to be one night where we think about you. Now you want to see a group of people excited to come to a party. I mean, this has become like the hottest ticket in the EPC, which is astounding because I know the quality of the wine I'm going to serve and it ain't all that great. But, <laughs> but when you don't ever get to drink a glass of wine, it's pretty special, right? So i these guys are like, Hey, we're going to this there's appetizers, there's food, there's drinks. It's like, honey, bring a bring grocery back, because there might be leftovers and we'll have dinner tomorrow night, right? They're those kind of folks. They're out there in the field and the trenches, they're working and they got nothing and they know it. But, but somebody said, you know, we want to treat you nice. Now, I also invite some of my buddies because I don't want to be the oldest guy in the room. Which, quite frankly, I am by a long way. So I, I invite probably a dozen or so of my buddies who pastor churches. You know, Green Tree were five, 600, something like that. Or, or bigger, I've, bigger. I have some friends. My buddy uh, Rufus is going he actually accepted my invitation. Rufus pastors a church of about 7,000 people. So I got some buddies that pastor big churches, right? And you know what? Most of them don't come. Why? Not because they're bad guys. They're great guys. I love them. They just don't need the party. They, they got better wine at home, they, they got better appetizers sitting in their refrigerator, right? There's an exuberance when the have-nots get something that they, they are astounded as theirs. That's what the gospel is, brothers and sisters. And you and I are the have-nots. In fact, all of the world is the have-nots. Part of the, part of the message of the story, Jesus to the, to the man who was hosting the party, who thought he had everything, was that you don't have anything. When it comes to relationship with God, you you're assuming you're going to be at God's feast. Let me tell you something about God's feast. God's feast is for those who are broken and know they're broken and joyfully respond to the grace of the master. God's grace for sinners is limitless because look at how this part of the conversation ends and still there is room, which means today, right now, there's room in God's kingdom for you. And for me, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, it's an opportunity for you to put your faith in him. We, a couple of us hang out here at the front afterwards. There'll be a couple of people over here. I'm hanging around. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to come to this party that God is throwing and to understand and, and experience and receive the grace and the mercy and the compassion of Christ. But it also is uh, some marching orders for you and for me who are disciples of Jesus it makes it pretty clear what it means for us to branch out, both emotionally as well as the actual effort itself. So I want to give just a couple of things of application and we'll be done this morning. The first one is this. It's a question. Is God's generosity and grace reflected in my life? Is it reflected in your life? I said earlier that we were were part of the poor and the sick, and that's very true. We are. We are are the ones who are spiritually broken. But when you realize that and you put your faith in Christ, God heals you of that and he brings you into a relationship with him. And then he makes you the servant who goes and tells other people. Have you forgotten that? Have you downplayed that in your life? Has that become of no consequence to you and to me as a church? Do we not care that sitting outside of our doors, across our parking lot, are people that don't know Jesus And have we bothered to take a moment to think that might be important to God? Therefore, it might be important to us. And I'm not trying to pick on us, friends, this morning. I'm just trying to to see the weight of the application. Jesus takes us from brokenness to service. He takes us from being those who receive his grace to those who share his grace and it's tough for me to call myself a disciple of Jesus and and not understand that. So I want to I want to call us to taking seriously at the, you know this last moment of branch out to take seriously God's call on us to be part of his inviting process. We are his servants. We should be joyful and humble. We should be solemn and boisterous all at the same time. Secondly, are we willing to persevere with the invitation because we will get scornful rejections just like this, this man did. There'll be people that look you in the eye and say, you believe the Bible's true? Have you lost your mind? What kind of simpleton are you? You will, re, you will face scornful rejections. Are we willing to face the scorn of man for, to the extent that maybe some will hear the gospel and come to Christ for salvation? The, the, the man throwing the party didn't give up when he was deeply, deeply insulted. He pushed through he said, the most important thing is that my banquet hall is filled. The most important thing is that people can experience the richness and the beauty and the fullness of my grace and my compassion and my mercy. Are we willing to persevere? And then finally, I want to mention uh, tone of green tree. I want to come back to, to Reiner's thing. Is You might not be as, as friendly as you, as you thought. I think that Green Tree um, would think of itself that we are a welcoming church. So maybe, maybe we're guilty of, of what Rainer says. Maybe we, maybe we shouldn't be as confident as, as uh, we, we are. But I, I don't think that's necessarily true. I actually think that Green Tree is a relatively welcoming place. I'm sure there are areas where we can grow. But I think if, if many of our folks that are, that, that are here at Green Tree, if they, they see somebody and they know they're a visitor, they're going to walk over, they're going to talk, they're going to want to make that person feel welcome. But there's a big difference between welcome and want. You can walk into a place and go, I felt welcome. That was a friendly place. You know, I go through the drive-thru at McDonald's and I, and I judge on how welcome I was. Right. Did they get my order? They get it to me and they, then they move me on. Right. Welcome. Anybody can welcome. Right. But do people, when they experience an interaction with us, come to two conclusions, whether they accept them or not. Number one those people actually want me there. They want me to be part of that fellowship. They want me to experience what they've experienced. And the second thing that would dawn on them is that's really different. I wonder if that's what God's like. Still there's room. Let's pray. Father, I pray that... uh, you would help us to branch out. We are um, challenged by that at times. We're fearful of that at times. It's, it's awfully wonderful now to have a new building where we can sit comfortably on Sunday morning and uh, worship you and, and enjoy friendship with one another. Uh, but Father, that's, that's not what you've called us. You've called us to be part of your invitation process. We are the, we are the crippled, the lame, the blind who have been healed by your salvation, by your Holy Spirit. And there are many, many more that need to hear your gospel. Father, we've said all along about this this place that we wanted it to be a tool that would be used by you to grow your kingdom. But Lord, that's not going to happen just because the lights are on and the doors are open. It's going to happen when disciples of Jesus joyfully, with exuberance, Think about how crazy it is that they've been invited to the party and go and share that with others. Give us that heart. Give us your heart. In Christ's name, amen.